Welcome to What the Bump. My name is Jen. And I'm Mariana. We are former labor and delivery nurses who felt called to step away from the bedside after having babies of our own to be full-time birth doulas. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and everything in between. Join us here every Wednesday for a new episode. Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today we have Jen who is coming on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Starting off, tell us a little bit about who you are and your family. Um, so my husband and I met at Lord's University. We were um, in this like summer program for like, basically we scored really bad on our ACT and we needed <laughs> some help, like getting into college level courses. So it was like a two week summer program and um, it was just like to help us test into those college courses and not have to spend the money on the stuff that didn't count. Um, so anyways, in the first day of that, um, that little program, we had some team building, just like kind of get to know each other. Um, there was, I think 18 students in the program. And (laughs) the first thing that we did, we had to create a boat that was going to go in this like gutter of water and be able to blow the boat to the end of the, the other gutter. And the thing that like captured my attention about him was that he was the one that like took the lead for the whole like group activity. Like nobody really wanted to do anything about it. It was just kind of awkward. Like, you know, we didn't know each other at all. And so I just thought to myself, wow, he's cool. He would be a good leader. And it just kind of went from there. We became really good friends for that entire first school year and then started dating at the end of the school year at the start of the summer. And here we are. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. Like you're trying to, like you said, like test into college courses. So they're like, what should we have these people do? Oh, build a boat. I'm like, how? (laughs) like that just doesn't seem like what you would expect, like the course would be to help with college classes. I don't know. It just started that way. Then it was like really intense two weeks of like academic, like coaching. Oh, okay. okay. It was just like to kind of get us to like warm up to each. So anyway, that's that. <laughs> that's so funny. Okay. So how old is your baby? He is three months. Oh, wow. And we're going to be sad. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so fun. Okay. So tell us about finding out you're pregnant. So um, I'm actually going to share both of my birth stories because I feel like it just makes sense if like once you hear it, you'll understand. Okay. So So give us a rundown of like your first and then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper into your second. Okay. So with my first, um, I found out I was pregnant in August, like the day I was teaching at that time. Um, Hopefully he calms down. Um. And it was like the first day of school and I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning because my puppy had woken up and needed to go outside. So I was like, well, I'm just going to take a test and see what happens. So I took the first response test and that thing was positive immediately. Like the darkest line. I was like, okay. So at first I was like, oh my goodness, like now what do I do? (laughs) And so the first thing I figured out was how I was going to tell my husband, um, like how that I was pregnant. And, um, so instead of going back to sleep, cause who can go back to sleep after they just found out they're pregnant for the first right. time. 
So I went and I found my letter board and I wrote like, mommy and me love you. And like propped up my pregnancy test and like left it on the kitchen counter for him to see when he got up that morning. Uh, so I was super, super excited. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was really, really cool and just exciting. We'd been trying only for a month and didn't really expect it to happen that fast, but it did. And yeah. That's awesome. Okay. And tell us kind of about how that first pregnancy was and that first birth. So, um, first trimester didn't really have any morning sickness. Everything just was, I don't know, super chill. Like nothing really changed. (laughs) Um, it almost felt like, am I really pregnant? Because I didn't feel anything. Um, which was a huge blessing because who wants to deal with morning sickness, but Um, into the second trimester, it was pretty like normal, you know, low key started feeling moving. And that was just really an enjoyable time. Mm-hmm. Um, starting around, I don't know, I think I was like maybe 25 weeks pregnant. My husband and I took the Bradley method course, which was a huge, huge blessing, um, just to really understand what's going to happen in labor and delivery, like what, like how to take care of yourself when you're pregnant, like all the things like to understand like the risks and the benefits of all the things, epidurals, um, episiotomies, like um, if you needed a C-section, like all these things, it was really, really, really informative. It made me feel like really in control in the decisions that we were making. And um, yeah, it was just super recommend for anyone listening, go take the Bradley method course. Um, so around like 33 weeks, I started to have elevated blood pressures and, um, we just kind of like watched it, you know, did the preeclamptic lab work and made sure there's no protein in my urine, all of the things. And it was just gestational hypertension. That's when it started. And so I, um, just, I didn't really want to take like labetalol or anything because we were worried like what if this does turn into preeclampsia is this going to mask symptoms like those types of things we obviously didn't want to like not know if something was going to get worse so um of course they started talking about induction which is like not anything that was on my radar definitely didn't want to do it Um, And I remember at my like 35 week appointment, she was like, be prepared to be induced at 37 weeks. I'm like, I am not having a baby in two weeks. Like there is no way I was like devastated at that idea. And so we just kept doing labs every week. We did non-stress tests every week. We did a growth ultrasound to make sure everything was fine there. Like just did a lot, a lot of monitoring to make sure the placenta was healthy enough and that the baby was good. And thankfully all went well. Um, I did not get induced until 39 weeks. So two weeks after they had originally suggested. And I'm really thankful that we did, we waited because I just, I knew like 37 was too early. It was my first baby. I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, ready. Like my body was just going to take a really long time to get the labor, all those things. I wasn't dilated at all. Nothing was happening that early. And nursing was also really, really important to me. So I knew that babies born earlier are lazier and just like, it doesn't always go well. And that was like worth keeping, like that was worth staying pregnant for a little bit longer. Right, right. And so we just, my blood pressures were like 140s over 90s. Sometimes they were a little bit more, but nothing that it was like, we need to do anything right away. 
So I went in on a Wednesday night at like seven, five, I think five thirty that night. And I was half centimeter dilated and I think 50% effaced. And so we decided to do the balloon cervical ripening because it wasn't a medication and it worked. It was in for 12 hours. And when it, they, they finally had to like drain it to get it out. Cause it didn't fall out. Um, but I was four and a half centimeters and I think like 70% effaced or something. And at that point we started Pitocin and my labor with him was just kind of like a textbook, like, you know, contraction started, they like gradually built, like everything went the way that it should have gone. Right. Um, but it was a really long time. So I went in, like I said, on Wednesday at like 5.30, balloon was in probably around 6.30 and he was not born until Friday morning at like 2.49 a.m., so it was like 33 hours of contractions and stuff just because as soon as the balloon was in, things started happening. Right. Um, I did not get an epidural. Like everything went really well. I like my blood pressure was managed enough that I didn't need to like get epidural to try and help it. Like everything just went really smoothly. Okay. So after I delivered. So you did all that unmedicated for 33 hours. Yes, you did. Yeah, that's impressive because I'm sure you were exhausted and most women with inductions, especially not always, but you know, get really, really tired. And so they get an epidural to rest. So that's impressive that you were awake for that long, even um, regardless of being in labor. Yeah. I mean, when the balloon was in like that first night, I could sleep between contractions, but so they were happening just about every five minutes. So yeah. it was like, you know, interrupted enough that yeah. it was like, Yeah. But I feel like what really helped me get through his labor was that I was so naive and I had like, I knew what was going to happen, like, because I had taken the Bradley method course, but I was like, I had no idea how intense the contractions were going to be. Or like, I wasn't like worried about anything that was going on yeah. because I didn't know. Right. Um, so that was like a huge blessing. Right, right, right. But after delivery, um, because I had hypertension for so long and it went unmedicated and it was kind of like up and down, it was like you know, the good days where it was like 140 over 90. Sometimes right. it was like in the 150s, but like, whatever. So after I delivered him, it had been like, I don't know, probably 15 minutes. And my placenta was still not coming out. So she had to manually remove my placenta, which was the most uncomfortable, awful thing that you could possibly go through without an epidural. Like I felt every bit of that and I didn't know what was going on because I wasn't medicated and those contractions were so difficult like you just like go into like labor land and you have like you're just really focused and like after delivery I was like okay it's over like he's finally here but I was still like not like here you know what I mean right so anyways um they started like trying to get my placenta out and I had no idea what was going on and it hurt really bad and I like yelled at her (laughs) and I was like what are you doing like it will come out on its own and she's like but it's not and I was like cool okay so then it was like I was like I can't I can't do this anymore and she's like well the other option is to go down to OR and get your placenta out like surgically and I was like no, we're not doing that. So I got a shot of Nubane, did absolutely nothing, but got me through it mentally. (laughs) 
and um they got the placenta out and that thing looked more like a brain than a placenta it was very like calcified really thin like she held it up and you could see through like the tissue she sent it to labs just to make sure like nothing else was like going on and the lab couldn't even tell where where his umbilical cord was attached to the actual placenta so it was very sick and it was a really good thing that we got induced when we did because I genuinely don't think he would have survived or maybe even me because if I would have had like placenta like abruption or like anything it just was like a really it was like a really good solidifying event that was like okay yeah I'm really glad we got induced when we did right so that was his birth story (laughs) and he's two and a half now um so yeah Yeah. And that, that makes sense. You know, a lot of times, like when it comes to, um, high blood pressure, when you're pregnant, even gestational diabetes and things like that, it really is a placenta problem. It's the placenta not functioning correctly that can like kind of cause that. So, you know, after you had your baby, seeing that your placenta was sick, definitely adds up. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely. I mean, I knew, well, I guess I didn't realize how big of a risk hypertension was at like in that pregnancy, just because again, I hadn't gone through any of that. So I like, they kept talking about preeclampsia and I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, but like, I don't have preeclampsia. So like, what's the big deal? Like, I don't understand. Nobody really told me like the risks, I guess to a point that I like understood it. Like, I just was like, okay, yeah, it's high high blood pressure, big deal. Like what's well, and it is surprising if your placenta looked that bad that like, it's actually very weird that you weren't much sicker and weren't definitely preeclamptic and everything. Um, yeah. With, you know, you kind of describing it, but definitely a blessing that you, you know, went ahead and, and did all that. Okay. So getting into kind of your most recent birth and pregnancy, then how did you find out you were pregnant the second time around? So this one's kind of funny. So we weren't like necessarily like trying, but we weren't really obviously preventing. So it was like, you know, I don't know. I just like, it was like the first month where we weren't like super careful. And I was like, well, maybe, but like, probably not. Right. Well, I started testing early because I really wanted to know, but I kept getting negative tests after negative test after negative test. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just not pregnant this time. Well, then I finally got to like, you know, the day of my period and I didn't start my period. So I was like, well, I guess I'll take another one tomorrow morning. Right. Well, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to throw it on the counter, like in the bathroom and whatever. I'll come back to it later and check it out. Well, my husband goes in the bathroom. I'm like, Hey, is there one or two lines there? And he's like, um, I think there's two lines. And I'm like, what you do? So I went in and looked and there was like the faintest line. And I was like, by now, like when I took my first pregnancy test with my first pregnancy, it was like, the same like it should have been the same day of my cycle right and so I was like why was it so dark with the first one but like it's so light this time like Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense so I was still like not really convinced until the next morning I took another one and it was definitely positive (laughs) and so I feel like with, you know, testing so often and it was like my second pregnancy, I was not nearly as excited. I would have been really bummed if I wasn't pregnant, but it just was like, 
I don't know. It was kind of like that moment where you're like, this is all I ever wanted, but like, holy cow, what am I going to do with two kids? Like, <laughs> yeah. Trust me, girl. I, I know. know. <laughs> it was like, oh gosh. Um, but yeah, it's still, it was still exciting. And yeah, it's just very different finding out for a second time. I feel. I, I agree. Um, I think there's nothing as exciting as that first time. Um, it's, it's just, it's so exciting. The first time. And I hate to say that, that because it sounds like kind of bad to be like, oh yeah, the second time is not exciting. It is exciting. But that first pregnancy test, that first time that you like get a positive is definitely just the most exciting. Um, my second yeah. one, I was the same way. I was like, oh, hey, look, I'm totally pregnant. Like, um, and I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, you're not any less excited for your baby, but it's just like the newness is not there. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I've done okay. this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Um, so how was your second pregnancy? Well, it was a little bit rougher. So my first trimester, I thought for sure it was going to be a girl. I was like, this has got to be a girl. I wasn't like super, super sick, but I was pretty nauseous pretty much all the time. And I was just like, I did get sick a couple of times. Like one time I opened the bread drawer and there was cinnamon bread in there and it smelled so strong that I like ran right to the bathroom. <laughs> and um, it was just, different than with my first so I thought for sure it was going to be a girl and with our first pregnancy we didn't find out the gender second one we did and I thought for sure like it's got to be a girl but I kind of knew in my heart it was a boy so when we found out I was like okay yeah I knew it was a boy it's fine um so yeah just a little bit sicker but not horrible the first trimester second trimester was pretty pretty good kind of easy breeze like a second trimester is always nice <laughs> yes it's amazing I'm like I wish I could stay like 23 25 weeks pregnant just stay there and then give birth from there like not yes. have to get super big and uncomfortable like all those yep. things but and then um we actually were planning a home birth this time we decided I don't know I was probably around like 16 weeks when we decided to um like meet with the home birth team and just kind of go that route because I was so like worried about like the hypertension happening again and like all those things and I just felt they could offer more support to potentially avoid the hypertension issue mm -hmm. and so we started meeting with them around the 16 week mark and uh, my blood pressure there was insanely high like I'm not sure uh, it was really bad. I think it was like 160 over 90 or something, mm -hmm. but I was really anxious about like, you know, risking out and all those things. So from that appointment, we, they gave me like some herbal tinctures to help. I was on like a magnesium and a calcium supplement and just really focusing on eating enough protein and just being more mindful about my diet. My first pregnancy, I ate tons of fast food it was just a busier lifestyle. At that point, mm -hmm. I was working full time and I was kind of like, well, I'm going to gain weight anyway, so who really cares? And that kind of bit me in the butt. And so I thought, well, if I have a healthier pregnancy the second time, it won't happen. So I wanted that extra support and just the accountability to, um, you know, continue like working out and just eating healthy because I knew at every appointment they were going to be like, well, what have you been eating? And if yeah. I'm like, yeah, I've been eating McDonald's, like that's not what I wanted to have to say to them. So I um, was really mindful of trying to get like 150 grams of protein in every day, kind of tried to follow the brewer's diet a little bit. Um, 
but kind of loosely because it's kind of strict and when you're pregnant it's just hard but um anyway so we worked closely with them and I had appointments with them every four weeks but because of my hypertension history we agreed that we would do like um parallel care because I was already 16 weeks so I had already had two appointments with my hospital birth team and I didn't want to like kind of just drop them and then have to pick them back up right so we did the parallel care which was okay I did tell the hospital team that we were planning a home birth um but nobody kind like nobody after the first like meeting said anything about it so I just kind of let it go too um so same thing around 33 weeks my blood pressure went up to the like 140s over 90s and I think the appointment that we finally decided to do something it was like my blood pressure was 150 over 90 mm-hmm. and I had taken it that morning at home and it was like normal and that was the most frustrating part about the whole thing is whenever I was at home my blood pressure was normal like there was no real concern I mean it might have been like 130s over 80s but still that's still a normal good mm-hmm. reading so um to be 150 over 90 it was like okay like we should probably do something at this point because at that point it hadn't been high at the hospital like when I had those appointments at all so I was just like okay well it's probably time to do something or the same thing's gonna happen and so we decided to go I decided to go on to the law at that point and I was still able to move forward with a home birth at that point um the labetalol did its job for like a really long time, which was great. My blood pressures were at, like in the 130s over 80s pretty consistently. Um, and then we got to, I don't know, probably like 38, 37, 38-ish weeks. And at that point, I had already had like my home birth team over to the house. Like, you know, I had my, my birth kit ready. Like everything was out. Like the house was prepped. Like all, it was like, we're going to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, then around like the 38 week mark, my blood pressure started to go kind of up and down. Like it was just like doing, it just wasn't consistently good, but it wasn't consistently bad either. And so I just started to lose like the peace about being at home because I was so scared. My placenta was going to do the same thing. And I didn't want, first of all, I didn't want to go through another manual removal, especially at home. But also I didn't want like my placenta to be sick and then something to happen if I, you know, stayed pregnant longer or whatever. So I just started to lose peace about that decision. So I had gone to one of my NSTs. So we did like the same plan. Like I was on the beta law. We did NSTs. We did um, fluid checks. We did another growth scan um, just to make sure everything was still going okay. And um, I was at Bay Park and I was doing an NST and all was well. My blood pressure that day was 113 over, I don't know, 70 something. It had never been that low. Like it was great. And so then I was like, well, now what do I do? Like I was confident I should probably be induced a week ago, but now my blood pressure is really good again. Like, do I stay home? So I just like was having this like mental battle. Like, do I do this? Do I not? 
And of course, you know, the hospital team is like really pushing for induction. And I get why, like there really are true risks with hypertension. Um, But I just, I didn't want to have to. And then my home birth team, I didn't necessarily risk out with them either. So it was like, I kind of felt like the pull of both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, I brought it up to my home birth team and they were like, well, you need to do whatever is going to like, where you're going to have the most peace Yeah, because birth is such a mental game. Like your body's going to do what it needs to do regardless. And if you're not in it, like mentally, that's when, you know, you're not progressing and like just things are taking a really long time and so on. So I just like went back and forth with my husband and with my doula and was just like, what, like, what do I do? I don't, I don't know what to do. And so I finally just decided to go ahead with the induction at 39 weeks. Unfortunately, I was never at peace with that decision, but I was also not at peace at staying home either. And I just was like, I was, I was so scared about the potential risks, but I was also like worried, like, am I going to regret getting induced as well? So I just didn't really have peace about the decision, but I figured it was probably safer just to move forward with the induction instead of like, I guess it it wasn't worth the risk to have any placental issues. Mm-hmm. So we went in at 39 weeks, I think on the dot. And it was another Wednesday night that we went in. We went in at seven. Um, at that time, I was one centimeter dilated, but only 20% effaced. And I decided to go with the balloon method again. Um And it fell out like six hours later, it was like 2am and I had been having contractions like really consistently on my own, much stronger than they ever were with my first. I thought for sure I wasn't going to need Pitocin, like it was going really well and it was going really quick too. So at that point I was like, I don't know, I think she might've come in a little bit later at like 4am to check me and I was like four, no, I was five centimeters and 50% effaced. And at that point, my contractions had stopped. So after the balloon fell out for two more hours, I contracted on my own. All was going really well. Um, And then they stopped. And because I didn't want to do Pitocin, I tried the breast pump to keep contractions going. And it didn't really do anything. And it was just making me really uncomfortable. And it just, whatever. I just wasn't a super big fan. So I was like, okay, not worth it. Let's just start the Pitocin. And so we started Pitocin, but not till like 8.30 in the morning. So my contractions stopped probably around 4 a.m. And then we started Pitocin at like 8.30. So Pitocin, just this time, for whatever reason, my body really wasn't responding to it. Mm-hmm. I was having contractions like every four minutes until like, I don't know, 5.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, kept upping it like every, I think, half hour. And I think by like 4.30, I was like maxed out on Pitocin, but still contractions every four minutes. Like they were not getting any closer together. So my doula and my nurse, actually, she was spinning baby certified and my doula is as well. And they were a great team. Like she let me do whatever I wanted besides like I couldn't walk the halls because they didn't have wireless monitors. That was a really, really big like mind block for me because I got to walk the halls with my first one Mm. and I was just expecting to be able to do it again right 
they didn't have wireless monitors, so I was stuck in my room, and that was just, like, a whole thing, but it's fine. I, like, my nurse, like, let me sit over the toilet. Like, I did... I did everything you could possibly think of spinning babies related to get this baby into a good position to get things moving. And I was in this position where I was laying like flat on my back and the, my, the bottom half, like my hips down were like dangling straight down off the bed. Walters. Yeah. That thing was terribly uncomfortable, but it worked. And that was like what made my contractions like pick up. And we were at the point where my, midwife was like well if you don't like if labor doesn't pick up like we're gonna take a pitocin break yeah but it did pick up and we didn't take that pitocin break and in hindsight kind of wish we would have but anyway so that was like around I don't know like six at six p.m Thursday afternoon or evening now and I was still only five centimeters and 50 percent effaced because those four minute contractions weren't doing anything so, um, we got to like 9.30 that night and I had been contracting every two minutes, really, really, really intense because I was maxed out on Pitocin and had been for hours and I wasn't allowed to eat. I had snacks throughout the day, but I couldn't have like a meal and I was starving. Like I was so Girl, hungry. you should have been eating. <laughs> I did. I did eat some, like I had like, you know, an oatmeal bar and like stuff that I had made at home to bring. But it still just, like, wasn't enough. Like, I was just really hungry. Anyway, um, which was weird because my first experience, like, I didn't have an appetite Mm. and whatever. So, anyway, um, it was, like, 9.30 and I was exhausted. I had been contracting for, like, days. It felt like in literal at that point. And I thought maybe I was in transition. I was sitting over the toilet and I was just really uncomfortable. And, like, I was just miserable. And I remember feeling the same way when I was in transition the first time. And so I was like, well, maybe I am. So I'm going to have her check me. But then I was like, but what if I'm not? What am I going to do? And so I got checked and I was six centimeters and like 70% of face. And I was like, that is a lot of work to do with no sleep, no food. And these contractions are terrible. Like I... It was so incredibly painful and my water still was intact. And so I knew that it was going to get really intense, like even more intense when my water broke. So I was like, I think like my only option at this point is to get an epidural. And I didn't really want to because I didn't with my first, but at the same time, like I felt like if I didn't get an epidural, I was going to end in a C-section. So I got an epidural and around like probably like 11:45 I was finally like comfortable like laying in the bed slept for a while my mom was there and she's like you were snoring and I was like good <laughs> like yeah. that's what I needed <laughs> and so she came in to check me again around like 4 I don't know it was like 4:15 a.m. now Friday morning and I was 8 centimeters and like 90% of face and then around like 6:30 I was complete and ready to push my first, I pushed for 19 minutes. So I was like, okay, cool. We're going to have a baby like real soon. No, pushed for two hours. And we had like um, a shift change in the middle of that. And I'm like, you know, spread eagle just laying on the bed. I'm like, hey, Jessica, it's nice to meet you. Like it was so, it was like kind of awkward. It, it was weird. 
But I also got a new midwife, which was a little disappointing because I was with the midwife that had delivered my first. Mm. And then somebody else came in, which she was great too. But it was just like, I wanted Brandy to be there, but it was fine. So he was finally born at 8. I think it was 8.18 a.m. Friday morning. So it was 36 hours. and um, Your second induction was longer? It was longer. It was so much harder. I cannot even like... It was a million times harder to be completely That's honest just with you. Rare, you know, most second babies, they come exponentially quicker and easier for the most part. So yeah. it's good to well, hear a story where it doesn't, because it kind of does prove like, you know, birth is really unexpected and you kind of have to prepare for anything. And that was like the really hard part. So like I went into this birth completely different mentally. Like one, I was really fearful. Like I was really, really, uh, really right, scared right, that the placenta situation was going to happen again. So that was definitely part of it. And that was like, wow, fear really plays a big role in the birth. Like mm-hmm. I didn't really realize that until after. Also, my first was seven eleven, seven pounds, 11 ounces and 19 and a half inches long or something like that. This guy. He was nine pounds and 21 inches and he had a 15 inch head. He was just really big. Like I I can tell while you're holding him that my first thought when we got, when we got on this Zoom call was, oh, that's a pretty big baby. (laughs) Yeah. He's three months and he's 14 pounds, 11 ounces. Oh yeah. My son was like almost 15 pounds at like two and a half months. He was 10 pounds when he was born. So those big babies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I listened I think I listened to your birth story before I had him and I was like one hour. What? <laughs> I don't recommend. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Okay. But um, yeah. So, and then I think positionally, so even with an epidural, I had like a hot spot in my right hip mm. and I think his head or like shoulder or something was stuck there. It was right. so painful, so painful. So I'm not really sure. I think like, it just was like a level, like one, he was bigger Two, I had an epidural. So like pushing probably wasn't as effective. Totally. Um, you know, like he, I think, I mean, at one point she, I was pushing and she checked me and he was like, his head was like cocked. Like it wasn't straight down. Yeah. So that's called asynclitic, which would kind of make sense. It's just where their head is like kinked a little bit or cocked or just turned a little bit funky. And Um, It really can prolong labor. That's why spinning babies is so important, like to do all those movements throughout labor because a baby, and and sometimes we can't prevent it. You know, we do everything we can. A lot of times we can help it, get that baby to twist or turn its head. Um, But sometimes, you know, it just happens. And that would make sense why the second labor, you know, was longer and harder if his head was a little bit off center, because maybe if it was centered right, you know, everything would have gone a lot quicker. Yeah, it was... I was like trying to like do some controlled like breathing while I was pushing because I had a second degree tear the first time and I really didn't want to do that again. Right. Um, but we ended up like I was like pulling on a sheet over the squat bar at first and I ended up going, I like turned onto my left side and I think turning onto my left side is what was able to like, he was able to get his head in a better position and then he was here like rather quickly after gotcha. after that so wow that is crazy two you know two good good in the end like good inductions you know um as you mentioned in your first one like everything progressed normally and in the end with the second everything did you know progress normally and everything um how did you feel like you know I know you mentioned a lot 
that you had a lot of fear going into the second birth. How did you feel like after the second birth, as far as like more of your mental space, where were you at? Well, at first I was like, no regrets. Like glad we did what we did. Didn't regret getting the epidural. Like, I was like, this is fine. Like it is what it is. Um, but kind of like as time went on and like, you know, the adrenaline wears off and you're like reflecting, Mm -hmm. I just got to the point where I felt like I really let my home birth team down, which is Mm -hmm. silly because like at the end of the day, it's like my birth and my experience and I get to pick how it goes. And, um, I just felt like sad that I didn't get that. But I also feel like now, like now I'm three months removed from it. I feel like I wanted to have a home birth because so many people I know have home births. Right. Like at the end of the day, like both of my birth experiences were really great. Like my nurses were really great. My midwives were really respectful of what my birth plan said. Um, I like, I really have no complaints about either of my births at Bay Park and I don't know I just I feel like I mean at our church there's like a lot of people who have home birth and like there's just a lot of people who are really passionate about a natural birth and of course I am too but like at the end of the day in some situations there are genuine needs for medical intervention totally and I I just kind of wish like especially in social media it's like home birth like hardcore or like hospital birth any intervention goes like there's no reason to like not get an epidural and like there's no reason to not get induced like all of those things but obviously there are like risks and things with that too and I just wish like there was like a middle ground between these two because I love natural birth I like honestly I am almost frustrated that my body gets this gestational hypertension Mm -hmm. and I can't do anything about it. Like I did a lot of things, my second pregnancy to try and avoid it. And at the end of the day, it still happened. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it was just, it was really tricky to like navigate like the disappointment just kind of in general. Like I felt like I had disappointed somebody else. I felt like, Um, my body disappointed me. (laughs) Um, There was just a lot of like things to navigate. Like I wasn't really disappointed that I got an epidural or anything like that, but just like almost like the grieving process of like your birth, not going the way that like you envision it to be. Um, So to like work through that a little bit, I talked with um, my mentor at church. She's a doula and she had a very traumatic birth with her first. It ended in an emergency C-section and she was like at a freestanding hospital center, I mean birth center. Um, So I knew she would be like a really good resource and and she um, talked about how um, like in Genesis, like God says that like in sorrow, you will bring forth children. And I had never thought about it that way, but like that sorrow and that birth disappointment that almost every woman feels, regardless of how well their birth goes, is a part of the curse. And that was just like a really like, a really cool like reminder and just way to view it because like, I could have had a perfectly healthy, great home birth and still had disappointments. Like, and at the end of the day, like, I hate to say like, 
healthy mom, healthy baby. Of course, that's the goal for anyone. But I feel like that phrase like diminishes the um, the journey of the how desire. you get there. Yeah. And just the desire that we have as women to be able to bring bring forth children naturally. Like, right. it's disappointing to I me that, that I saying. can't. <laughs> I, yeah, I do too. But it, I do feel that way. Like, I am thankful. Like, Absolutely. I made the decision that I did. Right. Um, my placenta did come out, like, Good. totally fine the second time in case, like, you know, you were wondering. I didn't mention mm-hmm. that. But I, like, I literally cried when it came out. And it was, like, whole. And I was, like, not being dug at. Like, it was yeah. so – I was so thankful for that ending. And that's the reason why I chose to get induced. And it was almost because everything went well. I didn't have that like piece that like really solidified the, in, the decision to get induced, but saying, at, right. at the same time, like, that's what I prayed for. Like I prayed for my placenta to be healthy and for everything to go well. And it did. So anyway, it's just, I've, I've learned that birth is just a lot to go through and a lot to process. It is. Amen to that. It really is because <laughs> it's such a mental game because like you said, if your placenta would have had trouble and came out and looked all sick, you would have been like, oh, okay, good. I knew I needed to get induced, but then you would have suffered a traumatic placenta delivery and all right. the what ifs of like, what if I didn't get induced? My baby wouldn't be healthy. So you prayed for it to go well, but then it went well. And you're like, well, did I really need to get in? You know what I mean? Like exactly, it's such exactly. a mental game. Um, I think that you just, at the end of the day, like, it's like, honestly, it's, everything like motherhood, you know, in motherhood, you were constantly thinking, you know, when you're making decisions for your children, what if I do this? What if I don't do this? And um, I think at the end of the day, like you just have to make your choice with confidence and not look back because you could what if yourself to death on mm-hmm. every possibility of every outcome of every decision that you make when it comes to parenting. And those are the most important decisions to us, which is why we overthink them. Birth is important to us. Our children are important to us. So those are the choices that we really go back and replay in our head a thousand times. Um, My daughter, I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast. Maybe I have, but my daughter got really sick and had a seizure and it was so traumatic. I have like literal PTSD. I can barely see an ambulance without like, like getting like, oh my God, what if she's in there? Cause we went to the hospital in the ambulance and I replayed what happened in her seizure over a million times in my head Mm -hmm. of like, well, should I have done this decision? And and in the end, she was fine. She recovered great. It was an uncomplicated like seizure. It was something just from her fever. They can kind of be common in kids, totally harmless. But still in my head, I replay it to this day, like probably once a day. Um, and it's just because we care so much about those things. And we do hold trauma around our children. Like mm-hmm. even if the situation ends up good, I don't know. We just, we overthink motherhood. We really do. Because we care Yeah, so that much. was- that was the one thing that I didn't realize how traumatic like the placenta removal was for me right. in my first birth. So when I got pregnant again, and I'm going through this pregnancy, like I didn't really think about it. Like I didn't think about, you know, the trauma of it. I didn't try and process it or like work through the fear that came along with that. And I really didn't realize that like that was a big deal to me until like I was about to get induced and I'm like well now I don't have time to like process it and work through it and any even if I did it was like at the end and I feel like at the end you're like still fearful no matter what has happened right. in your past like it's still again a lot to go through so I just I kind of wish I would have like really worked through 
kind of the baggage that came right. along with my first delivery. Um, just cause I, I feel like now, like I made decisions out of fear, but at the end of the day, like I took my history, I took my current situation, I put it together to make the best decision that I could yeah. at that time. Like there was nothing like, I know darn well, I would have never had peace at home. Like right. I just like the, my only other option was to wait another week for an induction. Like, I don't think I would have went into labor in that week anyway. So I don't know. It's just, I feel like a lot of times, like you can logically think through things, but like the emotion like has to catch up, Yeah, you know? Yeah. That, and honestly, that's like one of the main reasons why I even started. So my podcast originally was like birth education because friends and family would ask me the same questions about pregnancy and birth. So I was like, I'm sick of repeating myself. I'm going to start a podcast and talk about it. And I was so passionate. And then it kind of slowly turned into a lot more birth stories from other women um, and I was like, this is really great because there's so much education that people can pull out of another person's birth story, but there's also so much processing that I would get to see as I would record with moms. I mean, it's an hour recording of them kind of telling their birth story, but even still, you know, afterwards they would just be like, wow, that felt like really good to like talk about and get off my chest and process. And I think even just like processing your birth is so important. No matter the outcome, you just need to process it. Mm -hmm. You need to talk about it. Um, whether you feel like there's baggage or not, there's probably something hidden there. I could have told you within like 20 minutes of this conversation that you have birth trauma from your placenta. Um, but you know, like you yep. said, you didn't realize that for a long time. So, you know, it is, it is really good to just kind of process and talk about um, getting into like, you know, you're three months postpartum. So you're still in the thick of it in a way. Um, when did you have your baby? Cause I'm like, I'm like three months in a week, I think two weeks. Um, he was born June 9th. Okay. Um, I have to think like I have pregnancy brain. I was May 29th. Okay. So like a week apart. Um, yeah. So how are you feeling like three months out? I know you have two, so it's not the easiest thing. I'm right there with you, girl. I feel like, honestly, like, I feel like the transition from one to two was a very natural transition. I mean, my oldest was like two years and like two months, um age-wise so I feel like he he really loves babies like all babies not just ours and I think that that has like played a really great role and he's just like been really chill like he really hasn't experienced the jealousy or anything like it was genuinely like oh we have a baby and that's totally fine like let's keep him like he was totally like totally (laughs) chill it was great um so as far as that, like that has been really easy. And honestly, for me, like the transition one to two has been really natural. Like, it's Good. just like, oh yeah, I've done this. Like, it's fine. Um, he had a tongue tie. He wasn't transferring and nursing well. Like all we, you know, we dealt with all of that too, but he wasn't blistering me like my first one did. So I was like, this is pretty easy. Like, I mean, it was still difficult, but it's, it was fine in the end. Um, so as far as like, you know, postpartum and like all of that. Like, I feel like now for three months, you know, postpartum, I feel like pretty good. Like, I feel like I can get back into like a good routine. Like um, I can like wake up a little bit earlier instead of sleeping until like, like the kids wake up. And that's just really nice to have like an hour, hour and a half to myself. Um, But I feel like it took about the same time with my first two, like that first three months is like a lot of adjustment and healing and rest because you need it um and because you're not really getting that much <laughs> um but yeah like 
I, I feel I feel pretty good at this point so yeah that that's amazing yeah that transition you know from one to two I definitely feel like it still has its like challenges and and you know hills and everything like that but um I personally feel like zero to one was harder it was it's just a huge life change like everything about your life changes when you have your first and so the second one I was like well I'm already like controlled by naps and, you know, controlled by a baby's schedule. And I'm used to taking extra time to like go anywhere, do anything, not in a bad way. I love it. Obviously Um, that like adding in a second, I was like, oh, well, we're kind of already doing this. So now I just like get to bring another one along on the way. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't really think my first transition was really hard as far as like taking care of him and like that kind of stuff. It was hard physically. Um, but once like the healing and all of that happened, I felt like it was just like normal. Like it's kind of crazy how quickly like your motherly instinct like kicks in. And it's just like, this is all I've ever wanted. I've always wanted to be a mom. So I think it's just, I don't know. It's really amazing how well, like how quickly that instinct kicks in and everything just is natural. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay. One last thing from you, we need like your biggest, if you had to give, you know, from experiencing birth twice, motherhood, your biggest piece of advice, what would it be? To have good support, like regardless of like your family situation or whatever, like find someone, even if it's just one person to Mm -hmm. be able to confide in, to be able to, you know, process things with, ask questions about like someone who's gone before you in motherhood to just um, be a support for you in, in all the ways, like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like re- like just your, you know, figuring out schedules, like all the things, like have somebody there in your life that you can just have good conversation with and um, just be encouraged by because it's it's hard to do it even with a village. So if you don't have that, definitely find someone to be able to have in your corner. Yeah. I would say, you know, I ask everybody like what their top piece of advice is and I get like a good range of answers, but I would say in general, if I had to give like the number one to sum it up, it would be, you know, have a village. Um, Community is so important when it comes to motherhood and you, it's just, it's, you have to have it. Like it's so much harder when you don't um, Mm -hmm. have somebody to lean on, have somebody to ask questions to somebody to just even say like, Hey, listen, I've been there and it's hard right now, but it's going to get better because you'll have those days for sure. Um, And it's just really important to have that person. So you don't feel like you're alone. Yeah, definitely agree. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen. Thank you for sharing both of your birth stories with us. And I'm glad to see your little, (laughs) other people can't see you, but um, her son is, (laughs) passed out in her arms right now like just hanging there yeah sorry he was crying first half oh no big deal (laughs) we're good now it's like I don't even hear it I'm like oh you're it's I didn't hear anything (laughs) I'm so used to the sound so it kind of just you know it blends in yep I get that (laughs) well thank you so much thanks for having me Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.